All right, welcome back. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, we're going to introduce you to the legendary, the one, the only, Mr. Craig Martell. How are you doing today, sir? Oh, doing fine. Legendary, huh? <laughs> yeah, doing fine. I'm up here in the subarctic, hanging out, becoming one with nature. I hear you are the coolest guy in Alaska. That makes you a legendary. <laughs> There's a lot of people in Alaska. Well, all 700,000. Yeah, there's not a lot of people in Alaska. It's like one person per square mile. That, that actually sounds kind of Yeah. <laughs> so the uh, second part of the introduction, dear listener, as we tell you how we first found them. So, Doc, did you know him before I scheduled this interview? Nope. <laughs> but he's the famous, the most famous person in Alaska. Legendary. He's legendary. So, well, but- the, for me, the most famous person in Alaska was Brooke uh, Foss, so because she was my best friend. Oh, that works. Okay, best friend. All right, we yeah, get a pass this time. She was up there with the service. So, so I actually before I found him as uh, when I started writing, I actually found Martel because the stuff he writes with uh, L M B with Michael Anderley. That's a long lot of lot of letters, but with Michael Anderley, he co-writes some stuff with him, and I really I like the way they are both irreverent in their writing. So some people take themselves too seriously. He's not one of those people. So I think it's the inner Marine coming out when you do that. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes. And and that's when I first wrote, when I wrote my first, uh, geez, six or eight books, I didn't have any swearing in them. And then I met Michael and he's like, oh man, (laughs) the fans love it. They love the swearing. They love the creative swearing. They love the, uh, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to temper it. I'm going to try to, I'm only going to include it in dialogue and not just in the narrative where I'm just uh, uh, throwing curse words in, in just casual uh, text. But in dialogue, yeah, it was fair game. And then uh, those books, needless to say, have become monumental bestsellers. So it's like, okay. But uh, still, I, I got my last review was, oh, man, I can't believe you put swearing in this book. I my, None of my friends talk like that. I'm like, oh, man, you need better friends. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think well, I've read any of your stuff where you didn't swear. I must miss the first ones. Why did you choose not to swear in the first ones? I wanted to know. So, like, Kennedy Be- didn't get it because he was a principal. So, well, my my first books I wrote, I had just I retired from the Marine Corps almost twenty years ago, <clears throat> and I went. I got my law degree. I worked as an executive for uh-huh. seven years, and there was part of it. It's like, hey, you just you shouldn't do this. Because all you can do is lose people. You don't gain people by swearing. And it's like, okay, yeah, you make your point and brevity is key. So keeping it short, you don't throw in extra words that don't add value. And now, and you save it as an executive, you can swear, but it has to be, it has to be that true exclamation point, like when you really want to get their attention. So that that's that's it. So that's why I didn't. I'm like, ah, I don't, I'm, I don't, I'm not going to do this because I want something that my my uh, my dad could read and my my kids. Although my dad seems to gravitate towards the swearing books uh, more now that he's re- he's 84 years old and he he reads my f bomb books uh, uh, with with aplomb. So <clears throat> I just didn't I just didn't put them in there. I, mm-hmm. I I really wanted to work on my prose and that literary kind of approach. And then, uh, like Jr. said, the Marine in me came out and said, nah, this ain't working. How about me? Let me be me. And, uh, yeah, those books really sold well, even though all my old books have sold well, too, because uh, people picked them up and said, hey, I like this. Like I said, if you don't have swearing, you don't you don't lose readers. 
if you have swearing, then you have to temper and it's a, maybe a little bit different readership. So the crossover from sweary to non-sweary, 100% non-sweary to sweary is not 100%. So we'll ask you, dear listener, when we post this in the uh, Facebook group, you'll have to comment on what you think about swearing in books because if you read my stuff, you know there's lots of it. <laughs> All right, yeah, Doc, we got to ask him the most important question. We okay, get to if he gets on to, to religion, Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? I don't, I don't like being put in a box where there's a, there's a choice <laughs> that you have to pick. Uh, <laughs> I, I was there. I went to the opening. I'm a child of the 60s, so I watched Star Trek when each episode came out each week. And then on 1977, I was a teenager and able to go out at night by myself and me and a friend went to Star Wars opening night in Dubuque, Iowa. And there were like 40 people there is all. Opening night. It was a Thursday and no big line, but we were down there and we're like, hey, where is everybody? And we went to it. And it was awesome. That opening where the star the, the spaceships are never seen anything like that before 1977. And then afterwards, yeah, a lot of people picked up on the cool special effects. But so Star Wars, that was awesome. The story, hey, look at all this great stuff that's going on. And then uh, the sound effects were great. The sound the track was great. And then later, uh, Firefly comes on and it gets canceled by by morons that don't understand how to uh, what is really going to be a great story. <clears throat> so that one is uh, each have their elements of allure. I like Star Trek because of the way it put societal issues into a story and made them safe to talk about. Because hey, it's aliens. It's not. It's not. Uh, civil rights, it's green aliens. <clears throat> and they made it all okay. Because <clears throat> if you look at the original Star Trek, the original Star Trek is what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. You, you, uh, on the palette of the era of the 1960s, you see, hey, they put in all these social issues and hit them. And so this is the sci fi that I grew up with sci fi of Heinlein, Asimov, uh, McCaffrey, that they put in issues. That oh, no. were safe to talk about because they hid them within a great story. And that's, that's what I always strive for. That's what uh, I love about it as well. In fact, uh, I tell a great story where I was at working at Barnes and Noble and I had this naughty lawyer come in and ask me and I gave him a very similar answer. And he just stared at me because he and goes, oh, because he thought he was just going to talk down to me because he's like, oh, well, what do you like to read? Sci-fi and fantasy. And he goes, oh, you'll do anything to escape the real world. And I went... Then I ended it with, you know what? If the real world was as cool as my books and people worked as hard <laughs> as decent, maybe. Yeah. So. so so they each each of them have my have a place in my development. Uh, and uh, and I wanna, important. You're a polytheistic. So so those there, the one series I absolutely couldn't get into on in your questions, because the next one is is Game of Thrones, Lord of Rings, or Potter. Yeah. The Potterverse. I could not get into Game of Thrones. I didn't read the books because I I no longer like epic fantasy where it's a 500,000 word book. <clears throat> I, I mean, I read Lord of the Rings. First books I read were were fantasy just because that's all I had access to. I had mm -hmm. My brother had his library, Robert E. Howard, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. And, and then I later got into Anne McCaffrey, which dragon riders, right? Dragons. It's no, it's science fiction. So, uh, and, and you, and you figure that out by the second book and into the third book. It's like, Oh yeah, this is, this is sci-fi. <clears throat> but so, so my first ones, but then as soon as I started reading Heinlein and science fiction, it's like, I really like science fiction. I grew up in the Midwest, 1976. 
1975, mm -hmm. I believe, <clears throat> Metamorphosis Alpha came out, which is the first role-playing game, science fiction role-playing game. It followed after Dungeons and & Dragons. And I bought that right away. I bought that, I believe, in 1976. And then it's like, this is great. This is the end all. And that kind of reminded me of what Firefly was. And and it all worked from there. But Game of Thrones, I saw a soft porn because I, I watched the movies or watched the series as all. Well. By the third one, I'm like, this is, I can't watch this. I'm not here to watch soft porn. And uh, I didn't. I turned it off. I, I did well, not watch any more episodes after the third one. For me, the problem with even in the books for Game of Thrones is the fact that I like characters. I like characters that you get attached to. And I understand sometimes those characters have to die. I uh, I bawled my eyes out for about two weeks after reading Moretta, Dragon Lady of Kern. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, but And then I made the mistake of reading Neralika's story, which just had me crying another two, well, like the entire way through. I think there are tear marks in it. But you have to be very careful about how you kill them. And George R. Martin is just a mass murderer in many ways. Oh, you like this person. You got to the point as a reader, you're afraid to like somebody because you know as soon as you like them that he's going to kill them. Yeah. And, and yeah. that I, I just couldn't get into. For me. I, I never got that far because there were too many sleep people sleeping with us. And that seemed oh, like, like the whole I, focus of the. I tried reading the books. So even in the books, the books have a lot less sex, but there's a lot of murder. There's a lot, in some okay. ways more murder than there is sex. So did you get into the, uh, the sci-fi from across the pond, the uh, Doctor Who? I, I actually didn't watch any Doctor Who until the 21st century. Oh, wow. Oh, you missed I life. know. I know. Just It it was availability uh, when you're <laughs> trapped with just TV and AFORTS. You know that. The uh, Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. They yeah. didn't play Doctor Who. So guess what? You didn't watch. And I spent, okay. I spent 10 years of my career overseas. So uh, uh, overseas in non-English speaking countries. It's not like I was in the UK. I was in, uh, I was in Germany. I was in Russia. I was in yeah. uh, South Korea, well, uh, Japan. TV limited is much more limited when you live in a country without, um, uh, cause I lived in a country with only one English speaking radio station, newspaper and TV station. So yep. it's much more limited. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can get movies, but we had to buy them and then somebody would buy them and then we'd share them around and, it was the only way. Now with streaming, wherever you go, you can you can access and you're not limited. So Doctor Who that didn't come around until we had access to streaming TV and and more channels. And that was the yeah. 21st century when we finally finally settled down. So after I retired. <laughs> Sometimes that's nice. Um, so which one kind of came first for you? Your love of science fiction or fantasy? I enjoyed fantasy because that was my first but uh, and Lord of the Rings of course and the Hobbit are epic oh yeah but science fiction science fiction because like you said it opens up uh, so much more and I watched it on uh, Star Trek the original series that was the first science fiction I really watched even though yes we watched reruns of uh, lost in space that was still kind of hokey even when you're five years old it was hokey so uh, <clears throat> not the new movie the new movie is cool. The new movie is awesome, but I think that they really kind of embraced that hokiness. They realized they couldn't do it to that level, the level that they wanted. So they just went that way. You yeah. know? Did you like the Netflix show, the Lost in Space remake? You just said it was oh, cool. Yeah. 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 So there's the a new. movie and the new the Netflix series. So there's two oh, separate I movies. I have not seen. I can't. Hey, 21st century, we can stream 
And then Craig moves to Alaska where we can't stream because we live out off the grid. So uh, I, I don't have fiber here, so I can't stream. Uh, I'm using, I, this is through a phone, by the way. Uh, that's the only way we get the internet at our house. And, and we pay about $750 a month for our internet. Wow. That's a, that's a lot. Well, as soon as Starlink, God bless Elon Musk, as soon as Starlink comes <laughs> online, our $750 a month bill goes down to 100 Oh, wow. That yeah. is a huge difference. They're like, oh, hey, you're going to have to buy $500 worth of equipment and $100 here activation fee, and then it'll only be $100 a month. I'm like, that's still cheaper than one month of my usual internet access because you have to pay by the gig. Yeah. No. Uh, do, you, do you know when that's coming online for you guys? It was end of 2021, early 2022. So I've got uh, maybe another there. year, maybe another year of uh, $7,500. for. Uh, I'm, I'm rooting for you, dude. I yeah. so am. <laughs> so Me too, man. <laughs> the love of speculative fiction, um, how did that transition into your love of writing in this world? I My sister just sent me a notebook that she found in her trash. Uh -oh. That was that that I wrote when I was thirteen. I wrote a full book, but I'd I'd she lost it. Her trash often, does she? What's that? I'm kidding. I've joked. I'm like, she doesn't empty your trash very often. Now she may come ask me. No, she's she has uh, she has a lot of stuff. Uh, she doesn't throw a lot of stuff away, and uh, she's cleaning out. And found this, and it's like this is cool. So it's chapters eight to fourteen. It's a notebook. It's it's oh hey, I can do it. I can show you. It's a uh, really crimped uh, writing. Oh, wow. wow. That is a science fiction, a post-apocalyptic story I wrote. <clears throat> My grasp of speculative fiction came with what if. As I'm reading other stories, I'm like, I, I saw other tendrils. Hey, I'd like to know, know more about this. And the author didn't write them. And, and hey, as an author, it's like, no kidding. You can't write all the tendrils. <clears throat> but it's like, <laughs> I wanted to know more about that. So let me write my own story, not fan fiction. I, I created new worlds. And hey, let me do my own thing here. And I just love that, uh, the creative, imaginative world. And then, of course, uh, I became an adult and uh, and went in the Marine Corps. And whatever I did, I gave it 100% of what I was doing. So I put writing aside until I retired for the second time, retired after doing my lawyer gig. And I'm like, yeah, I'm tired of being away from home. I'm tired of, uh, of, of all this. And I have uh, I now make more. I make more money now than I did as a lawyer. So uh, it, wow. it has worked out really, really well. And I get to sit at home, hang out. Uh, gain COVID weight and now trying to lose COVID weight and, uh, and tell stories and get outside. So have you read through that, uh, the chapters that you have, how does it hold up? Poorly. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there, there's, there's a lot of passive voice and, and the story. Now I, I've, I sent it to my Patreon uh, fans and I sent it to uh, my, my insider team. I'm like, Hey, look at this thing I wrote when I was 13. And I'm like, this is a good story. I mean, yeah, uh, obviously some of the language and some of the things in there and the plot points. But generally, it's like, it, it's one of those things where if a teenager presents something to any author, you look at it and say, there's potential because there's a story here. And the character, and they embrace the character. One of the characters is an Irish setter named Eamon. And they embrace the, the Irish setter. They got all bummed when he disappeared in one, in one of the... Uh, uh, chapters. They're like, well, what happened to Eamon? And people are asking. I'm like, I don't know. I didn't reread this. I just copied the pages and, uh, you know, and took pictures of the pages and posted them. Uh, I, I didn't read it because I'm like, oh, ah, this is so painful. This should be written better. <laughs> I was 13. Come on, dude, have a, have, have a part. 
So, uh, yeah, the hardest person on me is me. And, uh, but I wrote it cause I just, I, what if, what if this, what if that, Hey, what happened next? And that's it kind of a free throwing. It's a great, uh, D and D. Uh, I mean, I, I grew up in the Midwest. I was only three hours away from Lake Geneva and, uh, we went out there and, and I got to play with uh, Ernie Gygax back in the 1970s nice. uh, at, at the dungeon hobby shop. And now I've reconnected with Ernie at, as well as, uh, Jim Ward from, mm-hmm. uh, uh, he the one, he's the one who designed Metamorphosis Alpha, and we actually sent a uh, uh, a Metamorphosis Alpha PDF file to the Troll Lords this morning for their Kickstarter on Metamorphosis Alpha, which is the the, the generation ship for their Kickstarter that they did about a year and a half ago, and they are now sending out all of the packages. They are done, so uh, nice. just updated updated that PDF. So yeah, li- still living Metamorphosis Alpha today, over forty years later. Sweet. So many authors let their real life experiences influence the kind of stories they tell. So were there any specific formidable moments for you that affect you as a, and shaped you as a storyteller? The, uh, the 1990s, uh, I was enlisted first, I enlisted for eight years and then I got my commission. And as an officer, I I said, I was ever, I've been everywhere, done nothing because I went in places after, Hey, went into Kuwait in 1993, so it was all stabilization stuff. It wasn't any war stuff. And then missed something out, wrong side of the world for things. And then uh, along came uh, along came terrorists, and they kind of sent me to uh, CENTCOM five days after 9-11. And the interaction of people in high-stress uh, combat environments – let me cancel this stuff here – high-stress combat uh, environments is – is uh, gold for any author. And you can tell when authors haven't been there and, and are making it up as opposed to those people who have been there and see the really off color jokes that happen when you think you might be five minutes from dying. It, it's like, uh, you know, your mother jokes. It, it's like, who, who, in this hell, who in the hell makes a your mother joke when you're going into a firefight or something where people are going to die? And Military, that's who. And almost every single time. And, About 20,000 people. And it's going to be the funniest stuff you've ever heard at the time because it's so inappropriate and, and mistimed. But that's the, that's the kind of reality that I think uh, that I've been able to bring to like all of my stories. Uh, military interactions at times when you're like, what in the hell? Where did that come from? Like, hey, it was, just, it was funny. <laughs> but but we're focusing on this. We're we're all going to go in this do this thing here, and people are going to die. And you're thinking about brownies. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Can somebody get their Can somebody get their mom send brownies? But we're going. <laughs> uh, You've been there. I, I mean, hey, how about wouldn't fresh socks be cool? Somebody tell your mom to send us fresh socks. I mean, that, that that's uh, yeah. And then you're always disappointed when you have those close calls at how crappy your one liners are. Very not TV worthy. I was exiting a porta potty because I got there and they didn't have any toilet paper. So I went, I was heading back to my truck to get it. I was about halfway between my truck and the porta potty when a mortar landed on the porta potty. And all I could think of as blue shit is raining down on us is, man, that's a crappy way to go. I wish I could have come up with something a lot more epic, but in the moment, that's all I had. That's all I got. But that's what you thought. It's not like, yeah. it's not like, geez, I was just in there. I could have died. Oh my God, let me hold my heart. No. It's like, oh, geez. Good thing there was no toilet paper. Otherwise, I'd be right. still in there wiping because right. he's got because of these damn MREs. You right. can never get that. You can never get the peanut butter off. 
So speaking of the military, we mentioned earlier that you served and retired from the U.S. Marine Corps. So we ask all of our um, authors who are also military veterans this question, but how do you feel like your time in the Marine Corps affects the stories you tell? It, it has warped me effectively that all of the stories have some Marine in them. After writing for three years, I looked, I'm like, every single one of my main characters is a former Marine. Because write what you know, you know? And that's, uh, I thought, hey, let, let me embrace that because I have so many Marine stories that mm -hmm. I can add that level of realism that somebody who's just researching, because too many people put Marines in their, in, in space <clears throat> and they're like, but this is, this is future. This is, but Marines, there's no, there's no water out there. So you're trading on the goodwill and the impression that people have of Marines when you take them to space. So you kind of need to use Marine language. So bulkhead, uh, uh, decks, all that yeah. kind of terminology. And also some things that Marines do that others, you never call a gunnery sergeant, sergeant. And you could see that right away when people I try to write Marine. army and I knew better. Well, and, and, <laughs> and, and capitalize Marines. This is one thing that we've, we've been able to get away with, uh, everywhere is you see Marine, it should be capitalized. And this is, uh, so whenever I I'm reading a book, and I say Marine, and, and in the blurb, they don't even have it capitalized. I mean, you're out of here. You, you, you don't embrace what the Marine Corps is all about, and you're going to make your own, make up your own idea of what the Marines are. I, so not, I read not, a short story for an anthology, and I told the biggest thing that I told the person was change it to an, ar uh, an army soldier from a Marine. Well, I want it to be a Marine. You wrote an army soldier, not a Marine. <laughs> Yeah. You have to rework your entire character if you want to do it. The quickest fact is change the branch. And that's yeah. this is one of the like we were talking about with swearing. This is a way to lose readers. You don't gain readers. You think you're gaining readers, but uh, if you lose that reality and that realism that others who have researched well or have been in the Marine Corps put into their stories, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to disappoint your readers. So you want to trade on that name, but you don't want to do the work. So no, that's uh, that's that's what I don't like in in science fiction, and and anything you got to do the research. So do you ever draw on people you knew from your time in the Marine Corps when you write? Not that they know of. <laughs> Legal disclaimer. <laughs> I am a lawyer. <laughs> okay. So so you draw more on the archetypes then, because some of the stories you've written, I'm like, I think I know that guy. No, I know that guy too. So everybody has those guys. And so that's one thing I moved, ah, oh geez, I had uh, 12 different assignments in the Marine Corps where that were PCS orders, permanent change of mm -hmm. station orders. And uh, so everywhere you go, you leave everybody behind. The worst station you ever had was the one you last left. The best station you ever have is the next one you're going to. And, and it's, a, it's a cycle. And whenever you get in a place, there's always the, this guy who does this. There's this guy who does this. There's a single guy who can't get enough. Uh, you know, he's out in the bars every night uh, looking for more. And, and every single. What's that? <laughs> Hopefully he's still single. We had one of those. He just failed to remember he was married. Oh, and 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 you have those guys, too, that, that <laughs> when they're away from their wives are doing uh, they're they're free. I mean, take off the wedding ring on the way to the airplane and and. Uh, it, it's that would be probably why I still have the divorce, have my my ex husband's wedding ring. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's but it, it's there you are two military. Here's three military, and we all know those people wherever you go. There's and it's just 
you just accept it. I mean, uh, one of my books, I have one of the the, uh, the privates. He, he's a, a tertiary character at best. He marries a stripper. And the colonel, I know that he's, guy. Like, he, he's like, you married a stripper? And his wife is like, hey, he, he's in love. It's like, but you married a stripper. And, he's in and, love. <laughs> it was special with him. He's in love. There's a oh difference. My. Oh my God. So, so I do yes. people that thought PCS meant permanent change of spouse because they would cycle through every time they got new orders. Hey, hey, you're talking to a three time winner here. So don't get on me, man. So we talked about how the time at your time in the Marine Corps affects the stories you tell. Does it affect how you engage with content as a consumer? So mo movies, books, games? It, it does because I, I read books that uh, don't realistically portray military. And, uh, and, and now with the access of the world of today, I can go in and I can follow some of these old authors that I knew from from way back when or that I followed. And now all of a sudden it's like, hey, we're, we're actual friends carrying on separate conversations. And I find that, oh, hey, this is why they might have gotten that wrong because they that's not their ilk. They, they wrote it because it was a story element, but they didn't really embrace the military, what the military was trying to to. Uh, uh, trying to establish. So it, it's, uh, I, I understand. And that's why I try to add that realism into my stories, uh, whatever they are. If I put a former military in there, I really want to get them right. And I just pull from my, uh, my experiences. I had 20 years to remember that stuff. And there's, there's always somebody that'll say, I knew that guy. Yep. That's exactly right. <laughs> so transitioning a bit into some of the fan angles, have you had any neat fan art or seen somebody cosplaying one of your characters? I have not. I, I don't go to conventions generally because I, I because I live in Alaska and it's a three and a half hour flight just to get to Seattle, just to get out of Alaska. And then wherever you go from there, it's another flight and it's, it's, it's expensive in both time and money. And uh, so generally I don't go to a lot of, uh, I don't go to any kind of convention. Dragon Con, I went to one and it was just so many people. There was like, all of Alaska squeezed into four block area. All of Alaska. Which year did you go? I went when I was a. Uh, <clears throat> that was uh, 2018. I was a finalist for the okay. uh, the science That's fiction funny. novel of the year. I do remember you now, because that was that year was a blur. That was my first year as a director. So, mm. but yes. Oh, cool, cool. No, I, yeah, I was a. I was a best military sci-fi novel of the year. Can uh, I go finals. back and update my comment and say that sure, I remember sure. the name now? <laughs> so that means, dear listener or viewer, if you actually cosplay any of his, his characters, you need to take pictures because that's the only way he's going to send it and then email it to him. And he'll love you for it. Yeah, that's I, I, I do need to work on that. That's one thing I haven't. Uh, but uh, David Weber does that exceptionally well, and Chris Kennedy uh, do that exceptionally well with uh, their their characters. I need to get some coins made, man. I I mean, it's the military thing. I need to get some some coins made. I had a logo made, and I just need to do it. So, yes, and, and who knows? Maybe if you maybe once you get those coins made, you can send them to the first person who gives, does a cosplay of your character at a con. Be like, show me your con badge, show me your cosplay. All kinds of things to do. That's right. Has anyone asked you for your autograph out in public? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Story. I just it, just walking around, especially at a place where they know mm -hmm. I I am, and I had to let them know because people don't just automatically recognize me. Thank God, because uh, I do like anonymity. See, notice where I live, 
uh, and, uh, and, and being just here. <clears throat> so yeah, just, uh, just come up to me. Hey, I, I love your books. Can I get your autograph? And, and, and had one of my books because they knew I was going to be there. So they, they okay. kind of, kind of trolled me or not trolled me, but, uh, mm -hmm. uh, stalked you stalk me. Yeah. That's the right word. I'm an well, author. That's they like hunting. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh my goodness. Um, so I was going to ask if you'd ever seen your book out in the wild away from a book signing. Not really, not okay. really. And that's uh, paperbacks aren't my, my big thing, but, uh, uh, the eBooks, I have uh, been on airplanes and I see people reading. I'm like, Hey, what, what, uh, what enticed you to buy this book? And that's a question that I always ask. I don't, it's not what, what book are you reading? What enticed you to buy this book? Because I'm always looking at how to market better. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh man, I love, uh, I love Baldacci. I love it. I love uh, James Patterson. And this is his latest. Okay, cool. I, I save them for when I travel. Okay, cool. And that one is like, Hey, that's great. I like his stuff too. And, and leave it at that. But if they're like, oh, man, I was at the airport and I was looking around for something just to kill the time. I'm like, oh, hey, you know, about uh, you've got your Kindle. Maybe you can, uh, you know, shop differently. And 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 what would that look like? Just trying to uh, refine and, and talk with people who may not be my readers, who most likely aren't my readers. But how? what would it take to get them? And so that's uh, I'm always researching. That's a, definitely probably the mindset of anybody who wants to succeed. Uh so we've talked some about what you've written, but can you give us your highlight reel of what you've written? Oh, oh my wait, goodness. I, I skipped a question. Uh, I, I forgot to have my coffee this morning. Um, so what have you had? What's your craziest, funniest interaction with a fan that you would want to share? <clears throat> oh, gee, the, the craziest interaction is when fans think they know the character and they're telling you all about the character and they're wrong. <laughs> oh that could be awkward. Yeah, that's like, oh wow. Is that what you took from that? Yeah, she's she's Indian, she's South Asian Indian, and, and she's extra tall and she's got this going on and got that. I'm like, really? Like, is that what you got from this? And it's like, yeah. It, so it once again, it's an exploration in how did I present that character that that she was so misrepresented? And not, not good or bad, but it's like, and I kind of liked it because it's like, hey, you you fill in all your character traits. So I, I actually describe characters less and less as I've been writing more and more because, hey, let the, let the reader fill that in. Let them use their imagination to then flesh out the world. I'm going to give you the framework and hopefully keep it interesting enough and move the plot forward with these characters, but you can fill in their character traits unless it's unless it's really important you need a really small character because they're going to crawl into a small space or something like something like that but uh, otherwise hey let the readers fill it in and so yeah that one was like that was my first interaction where okay maybe i was doing this right but unintentionally so <laughs> nice so now now we get to ask you what the highlight reel is because we realize you've written like a bazillion books so so what are the the highlights of the series that you write in i i have uh, i have over 20 series published and Okay, my, uh, that's grown since last time we talked. Yeah, yeah. One of my uh, my main character, Terry Henry Walton, was actually created by Michael Anderley, <clears throat> and he was in a couple books. and the And the readers wanted to learn more about him, and Michael had no no uh, bandwidth to write this character or this side story. So, 150 years on Earth, 
He needed to fill that time. He needed a post-apocalyptic author who also understood Marines because this guy was a former Marine. And I'm like, and he, so he called me and he said, Hey, can you write this uh, series for me? It's supposed to be four books and, and 19 books uh, and 2 million words later, we, uh, we have uh, a, a, a complete story. And then also my spinoff series, uh, Judge, Jury, and Executioners, based off that universe. And Terry Henry is a, a recurring character, but that is my space lawyer. So Rivka, a female space lawyer. And so that's my uh, one where I take both the Marine experience and uh, uh, lawyer experience. It's non-U.S. law. I, real, I use real law in there and real legal arguments for a uh, um, U.S. marshal from the 80s kind of approach, 1880s kind of approach going through the, the West where she's the law, she shows up and people have their cases. And, and and so that one, I like that one because it combines all the elements of stuff that I like, like Firefly. I could see that happening. It's like the, uh, <clears throat> uh, like the, uh, uh, the religious guy. Oh my God. I can't believe I forgot preacher. him. Oh, the preacher. preacher. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. he's going around and, and, and sharing the word. The shepherd, shepherd, yeah, that's it. So, and uh, it, it's those characters are in one universe. And my current thriller series, Ian Bragg series, that's one where I really want to like this character. And that's another one where it's a thriller, but he doesn't swear. So he doesn't swear. He likes Rush. His girlfriend and and becomes his wife during the series is a curvy girl, and those kinds of things that take it out of the mainstream thrillerdom. And it really resonating well with the fans, except those fans like Jack Reacher, who uh, or or uh, Ian Fleming fans, where they expect James Bond to go, uh, you know, find the supermodel at each uh, hotel, and and they want him. No, this is Ian Bragg. He's faithful, and uh, he's got his girlfriend, and she goes with him, and and uh, he doesn't swear, and he kills people. Interesting. So those all sound very fascinating, but today we want to talk about Scorpion's Fury. So where did you get the premise for this universe? How did you come up with the idea for the series? Psychedelics, Ouija board, overindulging in uh, expired MREs, or was it just the fresh air in Alaska? It was. Once again, I'm always researching, right? And mechs, <clears throat> military sci-fi with mechs were doing really well. And I'm like, I, I need one of these. I just had Super Dreadnought series, which is a ship that's massive and and the most powerful in the universe. And, and it was doing, that one was doing well. And people wanted more of that, hey, mechs engaged. So more ground combat, because I had done that a little bit with the Terry Henry Walton follow-up series, Bad Company, which is still him, but in space. And like, hey, let's make a, let's create a whole new universe with mechs. I worked with Caleb Walker, and he was the one who actually created the universe as we went. But his whole experience with military was, was gaming, online gaming and stuff. So... I wrote those parts. I put into the. I put that kind of element into the the ground combat section. Space combat. Hey, uh, online gaming is as good as anything because nobody's done space combat uh, for real. But down ground combat, let's do that. And so I worked on those parts. Uh, gave the uh, uh, that realistic interaction, the conversations between the characters during those high stress events, and then uh, this is uh, the series came out. Uh, we did, uh, uh, Caleb wasn't right, able to write the eighth book. So I wrote the eighth book all by myself. And uh, that one came out, it came out a little bit different, but still it wrapped the series. It uh, wrapped the, uh, the characters, it gave them life. And I think, it, I think it turned out pretty well. And it's been a good seller for me. So 
uh, uh, Lieutenant Zhi Bao, uh, a Chinese character. So there's a lot of Asian uh, religious and historical in, uh, elements within this, both Chinese and Japanese. Okay. And I should mention that this uh, book was published not under Craig Martell, but his pen name C.H. Gideon. Uh, his yeah. alter ego of, in Crime Fighter, um, he's wrestling all the bad moose in Alaska and keeping the, the, the county safe. But before we dig in, can we take a minute to just glory in that book cover? So how did you come up with this art? Because I want this on my wall. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the first covers we came up with is uh, Zhibao operates a scorpion class, which is a six-legged mech. That's about uh, 60 meters long. It's a, it's a pretty substantial piece of gear. And <clears throat> we tried that on the cover. We tried different covers with that mech, but it just never resonated with the readership because it was so hard to make out on thumbnail. So I got with Ryan Schwartz and said, hey, man, I need mech covers. The Scorpion class isn't working. And he's like, Max, I love Max. And so we went with a couple different iterations. And this was the one that uh, he came up with. And you see the whole series. If you look through them, you, you see they are awesome. We do have wallpaper without the uh, lettering, without the typography on there. And that uh, it is it is exceptional work. And he because he had fun, you can see that in this image, the artist was having fun creating it. I actually like the lettering with at the bottom with like that metallic sort of effect. Yeah. That actually makes it even pop more, I think. I don't know that I'd take that off. I'd put it up as it is. It just looks cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, it's a it's good either way. I mean, it looks great. It looks like a uh, an audio album cover. And CH Gideon, we went with that we went with that pen name because uh, more more research, right? It said single author names on covers tended to do a little bit better than multiple author names. So uh, I just went with one for some military sci-fi, and it didn't really work that well. I had to, I had to keep telling people, "That's me, that's me, that's me," in order to sell the book. So uh, I've, I have since done away with all my pen names, and it's all Craig Martell. This is my brand. I have twenty series. Uh, go look them up. Have a nice day. So, um, speaking of, of branding and selling, what would your thirty-second elevator pitch for this be? Max fighting aliens as well as humanity to do the right thing by humanity. Okay, shut up and take my money already. So what makes this <laughs> series special? It's, <clears throat> we start with start convicts with that they put on the front lines to fight kind of like the cannon fodder, but the convicts decided they really didn't want to die. And, uh, <laughs> and, and they were fighting wholesale. They were fighting to survive and fighting for each other which you saw it over there, Jr. It's, it's uh, you're fighting for each other, which is what people really are. They're not thinking, "Hey, I'm doing this for all of America." No, you're you're on there. You're, you're fighting to keep the guy next to you alive, or or the girl next to you, or anybody when you're when you're out there. And that's one thing that I wanted to portray in this series is that they were fighting for each other, which actually benefited humanity every time they won this battle that they weren't supposed to win. That, that, that made them stronger and more powerful as they move forward. So fighting for humanity was a, was the big thing as as uh, castoffs. These are people who had been criminals and, hey, we'll give you a stay if you go uh, go run a Mac and, and uh, fight the bad guys, fight the silicon-based life forms and the various other others out there. Okay. So 
Which science fiction or even fantasy tropes do you think Scorpion's Fury hits best? I, I think it's right in there with uh, uh, like Mech Warrior, the, the video game series. Okay. Did you ever actually play the game or were you just a fan of the aesthetic? No, no, I I, I never did. That's what some fans told me, hey, this is kind of like uh, Mech Warrior. This is, I'm like, oh, cool. That's good. I, I'm glad. But Caleb, Caleb did. So that's how it blended in. But from my perspective, I just thought it was good uh, good ground combat with pretty powerful uh, mechanized vehicles. So other, obviously the mill SF and the mech genre, what other subgenre do you think the story fits into? I think it fits into space opera because the interaction between the characters. Okay. The characters are moving the story forward. It's not exclusively about mechs and their, and their ability to conduct combat. Awesome. So can you tell us a little bit more about your main character in this story? Ajibao. She was a techno whiz who got put in jail for hacking into the system to and then publishing, hey, here's the truth. So she was a political prisoner. And so they were happy putting her on the front line because you're not connected with humanity. And in this series, there's two different humanities. There's the Solar Federation and there's the Terrans. These are humanity as they go to the stars. Of course, they do what humans do, and they fought and, and separated. Hey, they became two different cliques, and she's fighting for one, but they didn't really want her either. They're the ones who put her in jail, and this character moves through seeing the bigger and bigger picture as she's fighting a more and more important battle because as they go through book eight, it's for this is this is to win win space. The winner of this battle will be the one who, uh, who uh, secures it, for their people. Okay. Very cool. Um, and I like the fact that she's a female character, but I'm biased. So do you have any uh, especially memorable secondary characters you want to tell us about? Oh, you bet. Podsy is the secondary character, and he was her mechanic on the Scorpion-class mech in the first couple books. But then he got injured and got sent up to the ship. And while on the ship, he started doing other things technologically because he was a he was a techno whiz as well. And that was one of the requirements to operate these mechs. You needed to know you needed to know uh, uh, software systems. You needed to know uh, firmware, and you needed to be able to uh, turn a wrench. He goes up on ship and he he uh, handles the supply system to get what the front lines need while they're deployed. So this is another realistic element that military will recognize, hey, it's all fun and games if you're out out forward until you don't you stop getting food and water. And then the fun and games stop and things like that. And you run out of ammo. What do you do? Well somebody has to resupply it. And so that element is in this series. Little side element, but Podsy does it so well and then also uh, helps with some other elements and, and eventually by the end he becomes a ship captain when he started no. off as a as a wrench, as a mechanic. I know that uh, I've read a bunch of stuff where I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah, how did that happen? Because uh, I've seen some of the, the real-life breakdowns of when you don't think all the problems through. Uh, Am Amateurs talk tactics, professionals talk logistics. Yep. <laughs> yeah. uh, so does your story have a main character bad guy to, that they confront? And I mean, don't give away any spoilers, but... It does not. It has a main bad race. The race that stands itself apart, that uses other races as its pawns. Mm -hmm. And so they're after this hidden race that's behind the ones they're fighting with. Okay. 
And can we just take a moment and appreciate the fact that with 22 ongoing series, he still knows about all these characters because I don't see how he keeps it all in his head. Um, I, I, I had to, I had to dig into it and actually look at the book and say, what are these characters' names again? Character <laughs> names are the, it's the worst. I have my insider team. These people read everything. Uh, this group of four exceptional human beings read everything I write. And I had to ask them, hey, what, what's this character's again? What's, what's his name? Who's the captain of this ship? Because they, they keep track of all that for me because otherwise I'd be I'd be left out. But Lee, I'm like, Lee? is uh, Main character isn't Lee. So I looked at it. Oh, it's like Leroy Jenkins. He's the secondary character. He's Xi Bao's uh, commander. So I'm like, okay, Xi, yeah, that's it. Xi Bao, yeah. And then, of course, it all comes tumbling back. But damn. That's impressive. Speaking of characters, so you do lots of horrible things to your characters when you when you write. So how do you think um, it would play out for you if you met Ji Bao in a dark alley after she found out what you had done to her? Oh, I didn't do anything to her. I got her promoted, man. I got her promoted. I got her taken <laughs> out of jail. Yeah, I'd be her. I'd be her best friend. But uh, yeah, yeah. You also I, put her in jail, so yeah, well, she deserved it. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it would go well because the, the my main characters, they're the ones who are able to make things happen when nobody else can. And uh, I think she appreciate she would appreciate that and give her the tools she needs to do the job. Because there's too often people are put out there and they don't have the right tools and they're still trying to do the job. And she has what she needs. The spare parts, uh, her mech, by the end, it's like Scorpion 4 because her mech keeps getting destroyed underneath her. And uh uh, yeah, yeah. So she keeps getting a new mech and the one she likes, uh, even even though they have to go find them in museums and then resurrect them and then fly them out to her. So uh, let's take a minute to see if we can get a sneak peek of how the sausage was made. So were there any cool scenes or ideas for this series that uh, that didn't make the final cut, but that you kind of wish you had had room for? Actually, no. Now all the all the combat sequences, all the plot points. There were some little bit longer uh, political uh, uh, speeches and stuff like that that I cut from two and a half pages down to, to, to two paragraphs just because it's like, hey, this is this is okay, but we're not under any kind of word count guidelines. So let's make it uh, punchier and keep it keep it straightforward, keep it keep it to the action. Enough background so people understand what's going on, but not so much that they get uh, they think they're on CNN or something. I imagine that makes sense. You've gotten enough books under you that you don't waste words anymore. Um, so finally, what can you tell us about the universe? In many series, the worlds where the story takes place are as much a character as the antagonist and protagonist. So what can we expect from this world? You mentioned the Terran, Federa uh, Terran Federation and the Soul Organization and the aliens, but what else is, is, uh, is in this universe? I think that's the majority of the universe is about that, but also there are planets within the Terran Federation based on settlers who, who left the world trying to form their own. So there's a Chinese settlement, there's a Japanese settlement, there's a, uh, I think an African settlement. And this is where I start to get lost because there's a lot of these settlements based on the people and the homogeneity that they were seeking on these other planets. But then when, uh, uh, when the chips were down, they all came together. They all came together and uh, and then went forward to do the right thing by all humanity. So Terran Federation and the, and the Solarians were at war through the first four books. So half the half the series is them at war. <clears throat> and then they find, hey, we, we've got a lot bigger enemy here 
and they're playing us and now we need to get and and that's a it is a spoiler but it's a it's a really important element that hey humanity if you leave uh, if you put two humans together they're going to fight uh, until they find a common shared goal and that's what uh, that's what we tried to bring out with this series um, so Scorpion's Fury is clearly part of a series. I know because it says so on Amazon, there are currently eight books out in the series, but is their story done? Can we see more from these characters? I think their story is done. Uh, I, some people have asked for other ones, but, uh, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not up. I don't have any room in my schedule to write the other books and Caleb isn't able to continue. So, uh, I, I don't think so. Cause there's a, there's a great opportunity for a spinoff series off from book eight. But once again, it comes down to I, I can't write it, so it, uh, it won't happen. Okay. So if you want more, you have to send him a lot of love letters uh, for the series, and then maybe that interest will spark him to change his calendar. So it's up to you, dear reader. <laughs> so but talking about the universe, uh, every universe, every successful science fiction universe really has consistent rules of science and technology. What sort of tech can we expect from your books? It's a lot of old world technology that works. It could <clears throat> it could almost be steampunk in the mechs and how they work. Some of them have fusion reactors, but some of them are all diesel uh, generators running the mechs. And that's, that's kind of cool. There's no faster than light, but there are gates. So all the battles, the space battles happen at like a realistic speed. It takes a long time for these battles to take place because of the distance traveled and the time it takes to turn around once you're going one way. And how, how do you fight when a space and movement is a problem? But they do have gates, so wormholes, uh, stable wormholes to, to move vast distances. But then once they get into an area, it's uh, you're, you're kind of slave to uh, normal, normal physics. So it could be a little bit hard sci-fi in that regard because I, I, okay. I, we do like the science. So that's, uh, so that's, that's what they should expect. So did you, hold on. Did you, for weapons, did you go with the pew pew lasers or did you stick with uh, chemical propellants or? Yeah, chemical propellant, chain guns, missiles. Uh, there are some lasers, but it, it, the main weapons are all projectile. Okay. JR likes projectiles. I do. <laughs> yeah, so plas plasma. Uh, plasma weapons fired, which is just a, a, a like a railgun type. So, of all the tech in your books, what's your favorite, and would you abuse it, and how would you abuse it or use it on a daily basis? I tell you what, I like the railgun. I, I have put that in a number of different books because it's just a, a an accelerated object. So you could put a pin, a needle, uh, a BB. And just accelerate that thing to like 0.7 C and watch things explode. And you just do that for funsies every day. Scare the moose. Momentum to deliver. Yeah, that's right. It's like the <laughs> super slingshot. <laughs> okay. So um, can you tell us a bit about your aliens? You've mentioned you've had have them. How did you go about creating it? Was it whole cloth? <clears throat> did you let the series design biology? Um, this is this is one that Caleb was 100% responsible for the aliens. He came up with them and and I'm like, hey, they're great. I, I made no changes to the aliens. So that one I actually have to defer because how they came about, 
through through uh, Caleb's imagination, and he did a great job with them, made them realistic, and gave them abilities that weren't like way out of bounds. Like, hey, they're okay. all knowing kind of characters. No, they had to learn just like everybody else in certain ways. So when you do create aliens, because you you've gotten in twenty two series, there's plenty of room to create some. Would you let nature sort of inspire you, or just go with the rule of cool? I, I like the rule of cool. And I also like humanoid because it's just easier to, to work with and visualize for me. I, I think in my new series, I'm going to have an octopus kind of uh, because I was watching ancient aliens yesterday. <laughs> and, and they yeah. said that octopus, octopi, octobidae, octopuses are intelligent. And they may have with one little tweak in the genetic development of humanity, octopuses could have been the supreme intelligence and creature on earth and not humanity. That would be interesting to read. Is that the one you're working on right now? <clears throat> it is. It is. Okay. I'll have to check that out. Now, are you going to be publishing back under Craig Martell? Cause I missed this one. I'm sorry to say, cause I didn't realize this was you and it didn't, it didn't cause I follow you on Amazon. So I get the alerts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, this, the newest one is under my name, but it's going to be published by Ethan Books. So okay. uh, that's uh, Rhett Bruno and Steve Ballou. They'll, uh, they'll be publishing this series, and I'm halfway done with the second book, and they'll publish all three as a trilogy probably later this fall. They're going to shop the audio first and see if we can uh, get that done for simultaneous release. But uh, look for them this fall, all three. Nice. Okay, so clearly the interview is winding down, but before we wrap this up, is there anything about Scorpion's Fury that we didn't ask, but you want to tell us before we move on? It's cool battles in fantastic environments. There's an ice planet. There's a, a, a liquid planet where they're fighting the mechs, and they realize, hey, we can take them underwater. And, and on the moon and Mars, they go to, so there's a little local action. All kinds of great stuff, mechs fighting in unique environments uh, across the universe. So now I'm curious on if we did a knockdown drag out fight, whether your mechs could beat Scott Moon's mechs in his shorty verse, because that's another mech series that I absolutely love. That would I be interesting. I, I, Scott Moon is a co-writer of mine. We did Dark Landing together, and I have not read his uh, his mech series. I, I suck. That would be a fun crossover just to, just to watch mech on mech. So... One of the reasons, uh, viewer, listener, that we brought um, Craig Martell on when we did was because the um, first Metal Legion novel, Scorpion's Hero, is going to be in a story bundle. Um, so do, are you familiar with how that works? Because I've ne never actually done I bought a lot of them, but I've never actually looked behind the scenes. Oh, you bet. I've been in, jeez, uh, dozen of them so far, and they are great. <clears throat> it's all now Jason Chen who runs story bundle has developed a great list and great readership who expects to see a story bundle once or twice a month. And so he promotes to that list and all the, all the players promote to uh, their lists as well as some advertising and it gets your book in front of people. And every time I do a story bundle, I get, I get good read through as well as I, I get paid for them because everybody gets an equal share of the revenue. So it's, it's an advertisement that also pays me. And at the cost of, I share it with my list, I punch it out to uh, Facebook. I might, might run an ad or two on Facebook for it. And, and simple as that. And it, it's like uh, when I do anthologies uh, as well, Hey, you write a short story, you get paid a little bit for it. No, oh, by the way, you've got an extra reader magnet. And that's what this is. It's a series that, has tapered off. We published it first about three years ago, I believe. 
And then uh, now it's, hey, let's give it, let's give it some new life, as well as find other readers to get into our backlist because over 20 series, any, any reader who reads one of my series might pick up one of the other ones. And that's, that's money in the bank. And so what they uh, basically, if, you, if you're not familiar with them, is it's a, a website that curates them by theme. So this one will go into military sci-fi. They do fantasy. They do like self-help books. I've seen some for writing books, yeah. but it's definitely if you like to read a lot and, yeah. you know, you don't have a hundred billion dollars sitting in the bank account. I think you can catch some good deals. You bet. I it's a pay- bought more than my fair share, probably of story bundles. Yeah, it's a, it's a pay what you want with a certain minimum fee. And uh, they do all the genres. I, I was in a thriller one earlier this year, and that was a great opportunity to get my books in front of people against in front of thriller readers. This one, mill sci-fi. I, I have plenty of mill sci-fi series for uh, other readers to pick up, and I'm aside some great uh, some great personalities and great authors who are in this bundle, like J.R. Hanley. Mm-hmm. And so the uh, the link to this story bundle when this goes live will be in the show notes so you can go check it out. There's, I think, at least 12 books that I know of that are going to be in there. Um, so you're definitely saving money if you, even if you, you know, pay the the maximum, you're still, it's still cheaper than if you bought them all individually. Yeah, this book is four ninety nine, but as part of the bundle, you get it for less than a buck each. Yep. Yeah. So uh, as we bring this to a close, can you tell listeners and viewers how they can find you? And obviously it'll be in the show notes to your listener. Yeah, CraigMartell.com. All of my stuff is there. I've got a blog. I've got uh, a bio. I've got a free book if you want to join my newsletter list. Uh, uh, the Human Experiment, which is a good uh, uh, a good Star Trek style look at an a societal issue. So hey, there it is, and it's not in your face, but it's a a, a good story. Uh, a lot of people have gone it uh, picked it up, and it, uh, it it works. It worked because it's representative of my style in a lot of my books. But CraigMartell.com, C-R-A-I-G-M-A-R-T-E-L-L-E.com. All right. And you can find us, dear listener, on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters, tech, and tech blades. Anchor.fm backslash blasters, tech, and tech blades. We are working on getting a proper website that will integrate with Anchor FM and Spotify. What is that going on? What is that? She's laughing at me. She does it all the time. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at uh, twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. We even check it sometimes. You can join us on Facebook and join all the wacky conversations at facebook.com backslash blasters and blades podcast or you can support the show on anchor fm with a patreon type subscription or uh, buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley be sure to put it's for the podcast in the comments so i can uh deviate it or split it up uh, and now doc you get to bring it home and try not to laugh at me too hard what? Try to yawn. yawn oh my god i know i i i didn't get the coffee this morning um so thank you for spending your precious time for us for the comic drawing nick garber J.R. Hanley, who wants to eat pineapple pizza, and Pern is a sci-fi. See, we have a guest who agrees with me. I'm Doc Seska. This was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be on here next time. Same place, same great time. Uh, where we indulge our love of nerd culture, pineapple on pizza, everything geeky, geeky, and things that go boom. Thank you. Thank you, J.R. Thank you, Seska, for, uh, for <laughs> chatting today. I appreciate it. It was great. <laughs> It was fun. I have to take my digs.